0: Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com before we jump in though I'd love to remind you if you like what we do please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts helps to tone the visibility share this with your friends your coworkers anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn athletics also if you've ever dreamt of starting a podcast we've actually got a really cool offer for you Podiant the service that Kyle and I used to host this podcast it's offering all of our listeners 25% off of their premium memberships at Potty. You get a 14-day free trial, and then you can sign up. It's actually really affordable. So, again, they're offering you a 25% off to all of our listeners. If you sign up using the code LONGHORNMAN, I love the service. They give you free analytics. Uh, if you're one of the premium members, they actually give you one-on-one access with the people that code the website. So if you uh, have any technical or troubleshooting needs, they hit you up pretty responsively, uh, almost around the clock. So it's really actually super convenient. So, again, if you've ever dreamt of starting your own podcast, check out potty it's co. again you get a 14 day free offer of their premium service and then you can sign up again for a 25 percent off of your first three months by using the code longhorn well, my name is gerald Goodrich; i'm your host this week like i am every week and i am joined by my good friend the illest the realest kyle carpenter kyle
1: how are you doing my friend hey i am wonderful on this sunday evening um just just news in from earlier today I will get to see at least one more game before the love of my life, Manu Ginobili, potentially makes the decision about retiring. So Spurs avoiding the sweep was wonderful. Got to see live Texas sports this week with the baseball game in Houston, and got to see uh, got to see real live, tangible and palpable. Maybe not meaningful, but still. Real Longhorn football
0: palpable is definitely the way that uh that I would describe this this football game. We'll talk about how else we describe it. That's actually what we're going to spend probably ninety percent of the show doing today is talking about the Texas spring game. If you're listening to the show, you've probably watched it some way, shape, or form, whether it was the actual broadcast or a rebroadcast or maybe some YouTube clips about it. I don't know. We'll just leave that hanging there.
1: Yeah, and so for all of our uh, all of our deep cut Longhorn. Um, track and field and women's soccer heads just, you know, hold off because I know you tune in mainly for that, but this will be one you want to take off. We talk about that football thing, you know, just a little little, little show.
0: We will spend probably a ton of time talking about those sports in the next couple of weeks just because Big 12 tournaments are coming and national championships are coming. Um, We'd love to give shine when, when Longhorns do some big things. But it's football this week. So the Texas spring game kicked off under the lights, 6.30 p.m. for the first time ever and let's just go ahead and call it a mixed bag let's let's just do that but uh, the big question coming out of spring camp that everybody hoped that we got an answer to was who the heck is going to be the starting quarterback for the texas longhorns in 2018 i'd love to tell you that we have an answer to that question but after watching the game kyle i don't necessarily know if we know who the guy's going to be under center air quotes next year.
1: Um, I, I mean, I think it's pretty obviously cam rising. So yeah, I think, I think for me it's, (laughs) it's, it's done and dusted. We'll go one more year with a freshman quarterback. So easy, easy peasy.
0: Well, you mentioned it, the, the new guys cam rising and uh, Casey Thompson did get some play time at the end and both, once they settled down, I think both of their first series were like, Oh snap, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, their second series, looked really impressive. Cam Rising did a couple of really uh really grown man things. He rolled to the right through across his body, rolled to yeah. the left and or I guess rolled to the left through across his body, rolled to his right and threw it on the move. Uh through some strikes Cam uh Casey Thompson that dude fast. Yeah. It, it was it was good to see the young cats get some decent playing
1: time. Yeah, it's 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 kind of funny. I say that a little bit in jest, but the, we have four quarterbacks on campus and that's a great thing for Texas football. Um, the, the great thing is that I, I really hope we probably won't have to rely on another freshman in all seriousness, but, uh, Cam Rising's first play of meaningful, again, I'm using quotes here on meaningful, um, football, uh, he took a snap in the pocket, red pressure coming off the left edge. Um, and instead of panicking made just a beautiful, beautiful football decision that looked like a real live genuine player uh, took a step into the pocket to draw pressure in and then spun back outside, immediately got his eyes up and threw to the boundary. Uh The guy caught it. It was, it would have been a completion on his first, but it happened to be that he'd stepped out of bounds. And I mean, come on, rush, you don't throw flags on the, uh, on the 18 year old in this first throw out there, but uh waved it off. But uh yeah, the kid looked like something. Um, and not to mention, he's rocking a mustache, a mustache at 18. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's going to be a, a player, who can even get close to competing for my heart um, over the next four years than than what Cam Rising's trajectory is right now. And I I truly think Thompson might actually be the guy who fits uh, an archetypal, you know, Tom Herman uh, offense closest out of all four. Um, I think right now he might be in fourth place, but – if he keeps on this trajectory, the dude is fast. They blew plays dead because it's like someone touched him. But honestly, he's fast enough that those are arm tackles. I see him busting through those. And I like that. I like having that level of, uh, of athlete on, you know, at the quarterback position for this type of offense. Uh, and he threw a pretty good ball. surprised me, Surprised me on that front. So two really awesome showings from, from the young kids who only had, uh, you know, 15 practices with the team and, and, you know, not the chemistry and, um, time to really gel and came out and looked, you know, putting grown men performances. So again, we're, we're talking about those as the very first thing off the podcast. And I probably let us down this road a little bit in jest, but nonetheless, wonderful to see that we have that.
0: Tom Herman mentioned it uh, when he was talking about the guys that will actually be competing for the starting job is that it just feels good to have four <clears> scholarship <throat> guys. Um, and presumably uh, barring catastrophic injuries, both of them should be able to redshirt this yes, year, which that'd will be awesome. Be nice. So there'll be plenty of time for those guys to uh, develop and become uh, everything that they can be. But really, the, the quarterback competition is between the same two guys we were talking about, I feel like, literally every week this last season. Sam Ellinger and Shane Bouchelle. So, um, you know, they, they came out, obviously, were on opposite teams, so fans could get a shot at both of them and see them uh, play. Not get a shot at both of them, but see both of them in action uh, on opposite teams, uh, Ellinger on the white team, which got the first offensive possession, and Bouchelle on the orange team with the second offensive possession. Now, typically, you see the first guy out is the presumable starter, but the way they did the teams this year was kind of a mixed bag of the ones and twos that kind of split up some of their guys, and the O-line was obviously playing uh, both directions. But Kyle, what, uh, what did you see... From either guy and did you did you feel like you got a clear sense of maybe who you want to be the guy based on what you saw uh y- yesterday
1: yeah there would be series where i was like oh, okay yeah this is this is it this is this is uh sam pulling away um and then there would be things that just kind of brought it back to earth a little bit and again let's remember if he red shirts we're talking about seeing this guy for the first time like you know a normal trajectory you would want at quarterback so still young still developing but you know had the fumble on the read option uh, had a snap that was not good but probably shouldn't have been fumbled both of those luckily were recovered um but you know did have a couple throws where he was um behind a receiver or a little bit underthrown. i think um LJH on on what would have been a big pass. It was great recovery by Chris Boyd to get there, which we'll talk about that defense. Um, But, you know, just a couple throws and you actually texted me um, and I hadn't noticed until you said it, but there was something like a little bit, a little bit off about his, about his ball flight and trajectory. what did you see there?
0: I don't know if it was the spiral wasn't tight enough. It looked like, it looked like a ball that if it flew maybe 10 extra yards, it would start to wobble. Yeah. Uh, It just, there was something weird. The nose looked weird coming down. I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, but everything you said there feels like everything we said week in and week out uh, about Sam Ellinger when he yeah. when he started last year.
1: Yeah, and and you know that's that's rough again. Not to knock the kid, he was pretty accurate um, on most of the throws. And again, we're gonna talk about it, but giant, giant level asterisks next to the fact that they were playing behind that offensive line with a defense that just had you know ears pinned back and ready to attack it um, and, and make the most of maybe the worst line they'll play all, all year this season. Um and again, we'll get into why that's not necessarily the sky is falling right now, but nonetheless, it looked like those boys were ready to eat. So good on them. But you know, that means that a guy like um Ellinger who gets a little bit of a little bit of uh tendency to run in those situations and in a spring game that's not really what you want to see. Um so maybe not indicative there. And then with Bouchel, um who maybe By the, you know, numbers was the better of the quarterbacks. He did have the touchdown pass, uh, which again, Ellinger had a, a pass to LJH that was almost a touchdown. So that would really even out, um, you know, just if you did it each 100 times, but, uh, but, you know, maybe was slightly better from performance from Buchel. Um, But even he found a way that I think you and I before this game would have thought was inexplicable to overthrow John Burt, who runs like a six 100. Um, That's be 6.0 100 meter dash the dude's, you know, actually lightning. He runs six one hundreds in the time it takes me to do one is actually what that measure oh, is. Oh, yeah, okay, that's right. I I just trying to figure out exactly what, what metrics we were using. Whatever it is, that boy fast. Um and uh and yeah, I mean he found a way to overthrow him not once, but twice. And you could almost see the look on John Burt's face, like as he dove and laid out on one and the other, like he hit it and somehow made a way to like basketball slide across the, the hardwood. He did that on grass, which again, the guy keeps impressing me. But like you you could see the disbelief. Like <laughs> someone overthrew me? Oh, okay. We're doing that. But with, with Michelle, we've always said, he's a guy who needs time. And Mac Brown actually said it. And I believe it's high praise said when he has time, he could be as accurate as Colt McCoy back there. Um, but he gets the happy feed and he's throwing off his back foot. Cause he's got, you know, a hand in his face, a lineman being just bull rushed back into him. Um, you know, guys getting, getting hands on him. And uh, at least one of the throws was press related one. He just missed, uh, but that's going to happen, you know, but I think hopefully he's fully healthy from where he is. And I think, Right now, if you have to pick, you can say if you agree with this or not, but I think this is, uh, this is Sam Ellinger's spot to lose, but that doesn't mean that Bouchelle A, will not get time, and B, can't absolutely usurp that with better line play and a better chance to show off his full range of skills.
0: I think the coaches want it to be Ellinger. I, I'm Team Bouch right now. I think based on what I saw as far as who can move the ball down the field passing it, I think Bouchelle's the guy, and I think that's, you know, Tom Herman in postgame said that one of the things he encourages quarterbacks to do in the spring is to try to fit balls into tight spots, is to make throws that in a fall camp get you yelled at, make those throws in spring to see if you can do it, and if you go by that metric, Bouchelle all day, because most of Colin Johnson's catches were balls that I was like, why on God's green earth are you throwing it? There is a cornerback right there. And he anticipated the route. He anticipated the cut and trusted his massive receiver to come down with a 50, 50 ball. And those are the throws that, you know, with talented receivers and with, you know, a set of a set of confidence that you can walk out on the field with. I think that for me does a lot more than a guy like Sam Ellinger, who, you know, and granted, Ellinger, again, is a highly talented guy, but for both of them, it's kind of the same arguments we had all year, where I think Ellinger is way too quick to run. I think Ellinger uh, doesn't trust his arm as much as I'd prefer to see a quarterback do. I think Bouchelle again, gets happy feet in the pocket and you know I'm I'm not trying to take a shot at the guy. I'm five nine and a half. He's a short quarterback from Shane Bouchelle. That's why he overthrow overthrew you know Burt on both of those passes. One he had a guy in his face, and the other one he was falling back because he was anticipating a guy in his face. He's he is listed at six one. I would say he's probably closer to six foot uh, if that. So I think he's got that that short quarterback thing on, which is fine. I mean you've got. You know, not to not to invoke this, but you got a guy in Norman who's a short quarterback that's fixing to get uh, paid pretty handily. You got a guy in Seattle who's a short quarterback that took his team to the Super Bowl and took me to a Fantasy League championship this year. So, like, no knock on short quarterbacks. It's just a thing. But, you know, for me, I, if, if my metric is who's the guy that I think can make the throw in a game-winning position, I think it's Buschel. If it's who's the guy that can make a play when everything is going – go into pot and I need a guy to make something happen it's Ellinger and and I don't know necessarily and we'll talk about this um in a little bit I don't know if there's going to be as many of those situations uh in 2017 as there were in 2018.
1: That's a good point and I don't think it's a wild um assumption to assume in week one against Maryland there may be a breakdown um, that's pretty close to this. Um, I mean, honestly, 22 attempts for Ellinger and, and 21 for Buschel. Unless one guy gets hot, if they still don't have that decision made, it wouldn't be wild. And I'll be honest with you, I would not be terribly upset with, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, 65, 70% completion percentage and 280 yards combined between the two, I'm not going to be upset with that quarterback line. If we can get that um, and, and hopefully couple that with with a run game, that's that's the caveat there, um, then that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, if you add in kind of what what the freshman did, and this gets into the 60 to 65 throws a game, which is more than I want Texas throwing it. Um, but I mean, total date they, they had a you know all quarterbacks 400 and about 50 yards uh passing so that's you know that's big 12 football right there right I mean Baker Mayfield had games where he threw the ball 65 times for 430 yards and he's going to get drafted according to uh NDT scouting that's uh, our p- podcast last week go back and listen to Kyle Krabs um his his top quarterback in the draft so you know um it wouldn't be completely out of character for that stat line to be a Big Twelve quarterback, and and why not a Texas quarterback? So, all in all, from the four guys, I feel good. I, I feel okay saying
0: that. I feel pretty good, and we're four years out from Mac Brown, so I feel comfortable saying this. He made a really good point about which quarterback you go with. Is you you if you've got two guys, you try to figure it out in the first game. You tell them whoever goes down the field and scores, they stay in the game. Yeah. So if you can't move the offense then you're coming out we're gonna try the other guy and we're gonna try the other guy until one of you takes the the team down the field and scores you can move the ball down the field and you can score points which is a requirement in the conference we play in let's just be honest you have to put up points on every possession you you're the guy so again i i will not be mad whoever it is as long as they're able to move the ball now if we do see coaches may be forcing the point a little bit with one guy or the other. I will maybe get a little bit salty, but I think as it stands right now, either way, I think if they're moving the ball down the field and the offense is productive, then I'm I'm a happy camper. But we we mentioned it and we're going to skip around in our show notes cuz it's it's kind of impossible to have this conversation without talking about the offensive line. So yeah. Texas had eight healthy offensive linemen for the spring game and they played both ways. In an eight-man rotation, which is great for a basketball team, not great for an offensive line that's expected <laughs> to play 50 minutes of, uh, of football with a 10-minute break in between. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, the offensive line looked a, a little suspect, we'll say. Uh, looked a little suspect in the spring game, but again, eight-man rotation playing nearly an hour straight what what does that does that give you any indication of what this this unit's going to look like uh, next year?
1: No, I I mean it's good it's good reps it's good um, tape it's a good chance for Coach Hand to see them in a live situation um, just a little bit different than what you're getting in practice. All that is good. Uh, it's the spring. There's a long time until the fall, but there is a Patrick Hudson sized asterisk and caveat that you have to put on everything that happened during this game, and he's a big man, so that means a, a big one. Um, but you know you have to think that in my mind, maybe you have two out of five um, guys playing in their exact position that they'll be playing in the fall. Um, you know, you're, you obviously are going to have uh, the guys come in. You're going to have um, Calvin Anderson coming in, um, you know, and, and that everyone, if he's as good as he looked in the past and he's as good as everyone thinks he's going to be um, including the coaching staff, you um, I think that's an an unbelievable immediate upgrade. And, of course, you're saying, oh, well, he's replacing uh, a guy who, again, shouts to our last podcast, Kyle Krabs had as his number one tackle, but he didn't play at all last year, right? So we played, you know, very, very limited uh, due to his injury. So, you know, from what we had besides that, unbelievable upgrade. Um, You also have... Um, you know, uh, one more coming in um, with with Grandy, so it, it, that looks to be a transfer who's going to be an immediate starter. Um, you have some guys because they're in there who are shifting to other positions. Um, you really, I think, are going to see Vaje. Uh, who I thought actually looked good. He was about the one thing in our in our run game, and we'll get to that. Who I thought looked good. He had a couple. Uh, he had a pull at least where I saw him get downfield, um, and, or get downhill pretty well, and 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 actually, you know, take it to someone. Um, and in pass blocking, had his moments that that looked uh, looked all right. So um, I like to see that he's showing some consistency, and he's the guy who's you know going to be the the glue that's been there the longest in that line. So from him, fine. But but otherwise, I think you have to look at this and say. Huh. Okay. That was an interesting thing. How far, use that as a baseline. How far have we come when they come out um, in September against Maryland in week one and, and line up with five guys with their hands down? Uh, What does that look like then as compared to now?
0: And I sent this to you via text. you know, during the game, this is essentially the same unit that we ended the 2017 season with that we knew wasn't very good.
1: Yes. that, That we called historically bad on this very Podcast.
0: We knew it wasn't a good unit. We knew that they had a lot of work to do, and they went out and cheered up their spots recruiting. You know, you've got Calvin Anderson, probably the biggest recruiting job of a huge recruiting class, and then Grandy, the, the JUCO transfer. So, I mean, I I think uh, your, your left tackle definitely is different for this, you know, for the 2018 season, because Calvin Anderson doesn't show up if he doesn't really have a You know, Herman says it's a meritocracy, but I'm pretty sure he was like, hey, it is a meritocracy, and you are basically better than anything (laughs) we have at that spot. So he's going to come in. The guy has NFL aspirations and has some NFL – it's not just aspirations. I think he's going to play in the league at least on somebody's 52-man. So he's there. You've got – Uh, You know, Erdike has got beat like a drum a couple of times. So, um, you know, they're they're obviously that's going to change. But like you said, it's going to be at least 40, if not 60 percent different uh, starting 2018. So it's a much, much different unit uh, starting the year than it than it was. And again, they're not going to be expected to play every snap. By the, by really the second quarter, these guys are sucking wind, which, which is understandable for, you know, offensive linemen. That just is what it is. They played every snap, every down. It's an eight man rotation. So basically, you've got three of the same guys on the field at all times.
1: Yeah. I mean, a long drive that they're going to have to be in there for is like eight minutes, you know, and and maybe a TV timeout or a timeout in there in between. So, I mean, this, this was a real, um, Test in, in physical fitness and good for them for for making it the whole game you know like that's it, it's tough they're they're out there grading and you're under the lights and it's still hot and you're you know the the energy and the the adrenaline you know it carries you through but that's that's a lot you know so for them that at least was it was a good sign and I do like that you tied it all in with with Brett Hager banging the drum um as we will at the end of the show but poor JPU uh, he was oh man he. I, he'll have better games. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, he will. And, and Brett Hager has a shot to be probably one of the top five defensive linemen in the conference. So it's okay. And he's probably on the opposite side of the line from one of the other top five defensive linemen in the conference. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, they're a good, they will be a good unit. We, we can't move away from the offensive line without talking about tight ends. Sure. Uh, because the Reese lay uh, I did not expect him to be as consistent of a safety valve for the quarterbacks as he was. He was he looked great out there in the flats catching these passes. Or really,
1: um,
0: it I, I'm in, I was impressed. What did you see from the tight ends? Did you see anything
1: from the tight ends uh, this year? I have to give credit to to Leita. Whenever the ball came to his hands, he, he caught it. That's not something we've always been able to rely on in past years for, to our tight end. Um, what I'm hoping to see from him is progression to get a little bit working with the coaches um, on how to how to turn that into maybe something more than just a, just a oh, we can get two yards and, and not have to take a sack here, um, but maybe turn that into something. He did go down on first contact, but that might be something when we talk about the defense that was just stellar, stellar open field tackling, but he seemed to be the target of a lot of those with smaller guys just putting lumber on him and taking him down. So I would maybe like to see if he's going to be our pass-catching kind of threat that he, um, he, A, has a chance to, you know, get a little bit of yak and, and B, maybe get downfield just a little bit more, um, not deep, but just, you know, a little deeper routes and, and kind of stretch there. Um, but the other tight end, of course, was Andrew Beck, who everyone's been saying is a big leader on this team, just a big guy. And if you think about this, like you said, in an offensive line context, um, he may have been one of our, our better blockers um, ran behind him on the, on the touchdown run, at least one of them that we had um, from, from Will Jordan Humphrey. So, I mean, it's uh he looked like a he looked like a strong player who'd played college football for years and, and especially in the in the blocking scheme, could be an extra asset um when you go kind of jumbo and go in that heavy formation. So um all in all, from where we've been with tight ends of being another of our greatest areas of weakness, that, that looks good to me. And the fact
0: that Cade Brewer wasn't playing, they could right. legitimately have a three man rotation at tight end uh and keep a fresh guy in there and you 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 mentioned that Tao could be more than a guy who, you know, is your dump off guy. But Texas has made a lot of money with a guy who's kind of a dump off guy. Like a good tight end that keeps you from from getting sacked is, you know, if you, rather than losing three yards, you gain three. That's a six yard difference, and you're not playing behind the chains.
1: Oh, d- don't yeah, don't get get me wrong. I would take Bo Scaife and and, and uh, David Thomas's worst games in in their long worn career. Right now as just being a dump off and getting four catches like that and, and avoiding, you know, four four negative plays. Sure. I'm taking that every every time. Um, I just would like to see, like I said, a little bit. Can Can we turn that into a position of threat? You know, a position that isn't just, hey, it's not a weakness this year, but it's like, hey you got to watch their their tight end. You know Texas likes to run the little kind of eight-yard drags against the formation Um, that can end up springing into 20-yard plays. Or Texas, you know, can run little little eight yards, sit down in the middle of the – Formation, get a catch and move the chains. You know, let's see that. Let's see 8 to 10 yards, uh, 12 yards down the field and see these guys get involved uh, a little bit in that game with kind of some sure, steady hands that we saw today. And I think then you're really talking about this unit uh, as a potential plus, as a really good thing um, for these young quarterbacks to to be able to count on.
0: And you mentioned that they ran behind Andrew Beck on one of the little Jordan Humphrey's uh, running touchdowns. The running backs... <laughs> I don't. I don't have many words for this. Actually, our show notes. I I put a poop emoji
1: <laughs> in there
0: for the run- like. I'm just being honest here. Like the running backs did not look great. Obviously, we just mentioned it. The offensive line was not what it could have been or should have been. Uh, but they finished the game with 22 rushes for 66 yards, which is a thing.
1: <laughs> I guess they. You know, they were the 95th uh, best rushing team in college football. That's uh, that's FBS. Uh, last year, which is which is not great, and they kept relatively consistent with this. But there was one guy who really stood out um, in this in this game, um, and that, of course, would be Keontae Ingram. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: Keontae Ingram stood out that he was not on the team yet, and he he will be next year. Uh, you know, Herman mentioned, like you said off top, that there are going to be some freshmen that probably will play, and I'm fine with freshmen playing. If they're the best guy on the field, then put them out there. Like let's let's go. It's not we are no longer in the college game where you have to be a redshirt sophomore or junior before you see the field. If you're the best cat, these these guys out of, coming out of high school are bigger, faster, stronger. And Keontae Ingram looks like he might be bigger, faster, stronger than anything we've got uh, on campus right now.
1: Yeah. And, and Daniel Young actually looked okay. The guy who disappointed me the most was probably to Carter, captain and to your boy um, had the, had the fumble, had just kind of some, some issues and looking like he didn't know exactly where he was going. I think there was probably at least one time I saw it look like he could have, um, done better in pass pro. I mean, just, just maybe took a step back from the, the really lofty things that we saw from him, especially like in the bowl game last year, uh, and the way he kind of took the momentum to the, to the end of the season last year, you were hoping to see a big step up. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing, but I don't want to skip the running backs without talking about my single, probably highlight, uh, of this game. And that's, uh, that's Tim Master Yoder, who uh, who um, <laughs> set his case back. He did not. Did I do that right? You're the you host the nerd podcast. Did I do the the Yoder? That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know he he's a kid who's 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 out there getting reps because of injuries, because of you know freshman not being on campus. He's not truly gonna be um, a factor in the season, but. Man, good for him. The kid is uh, has a LinkedIn page, which which I found um, is you know a uh, a senior who's who's really doing internships in the in the uh, off season, getting ready for his life post football. He's a walk on, uh, and he scored a touchdown. So f- good for him. The man who is formerly most famous for being the uh, bench press sideline celebrator uh, now has a UT touchdown in his trophy case so good for him just wanted to give him a quick shout out so that's awesome should have taken that
0: ball home with him another thing to talk about before we move off of the running backs uh texas is courting another grad transfer other than calvin anderson uh cal running back trey watson was granted a uh release to to transfer anywhere and so uh he took in the spring game with calvin anderson and calvin anderson sent a bit of a a, um I don't want to call it a telling tweet because that's terrible alliteration. But uh, he sent a tweet talking, you know, just talking about how he was hosting him, and then he dropped a shush emoji in there, which, yep, if you've been following Texas Cruton, you know that the shush emoji means that something's about to go down, and somebody knows something that maybe the fans don't. So, uh, if if Trey Watson, who is more of a um, you know third down and receiving back mm-hmm. for Cal. Still, he's an explosive athlete, and that's something that Texas sorely needs in the running game yeah. uh, right about now. So, with you know Ingram playing you know two downs and and Watson playing two downs, I would feel much more confident with this running game come fall.
1: Yeah, and just add more dudes. It's the way we said with the quarterbacks, having scholarship dudes who are legitimate players who are you know NCAA Division one caliber guys is good. Get depth, you know depth is not a bad thing. Alabama has five stars, you know, who they bring in to win national championships for one play a season. You know, it's, it's good to have depth. Um, uh, Any, any guy in the country who, who, you know, is playing meaningful division one snaps and is looking, you know, I'll take him at this point. We're getting great recruiting classes, but right now we need dudes. And so I would love to have him obviously, you know, I think he's a mid upgrade over like a Kyle Porter, who eh, you know. Um, but you know, the, the, you have the two guys at running back who could be really good, who didn't play in Tristan Houston and and Kirk Johnson, my boy Kirk O'Grinds. But again, with injury histories and just never really getting a chance to see that meaningfully, let's take someone who has done it. You know, at this point, just get depth on that position and and let's let's get some dudes who aren't afraid to. Uh, run behind these holes that we are sure um, this year are going to be six or seven yards wide.
0: Yeah. And so <laughs> the leading rusher, as far as scoring goes was Lil Jordan Humphrey. So we'll use that awkward and ham fisted segue to talk about the wide receivers really quickly. So there were kind of two receivers that flashed uh, more than anybody else, Lil Jordan Humphrey and, and Colin Johnson. And again, Tom Herman said in post game that, you know, quarterbacks throw to guys that they're confident in, and they they develop a favorite based on their confidence. And so, based upon the number of balls heading in their direction and the number of yards, although Jordan Humphrey is very clearly Sam Ellinger's favorite target, he finished the day with 101 uh, receiving yards and those two rushing touchdowns in a uh, goal line formation. While Colin Johnson is very very clearly uh, Shane Bouchelle's favorite receiver, and, and he's kind of getting outshone by Lil' Jordan Humphrey and maybe deservedly so, but he was only finished with 10 fewer yards. He finished with 91 uh, receiving yards. A couple of highlight reel catches, including uh, doing something that we wanted him to do all year, which was he won three or four 50-50 balls, where one was in the end zone, one was on the sideline, and he made, again, just a highlight reel catch, uh, falling backwards, got both feet in bounds, NFL legal catch. Uh, so Kyle, what what is it what does it mean to you to finally get some really consistent play from a position that was really inconsistent a year ago?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we said all year that this was maybe the most talented besides probably our secondary um, most talented unit on the team. Uh, They didn't necessarily play like it all year. And again, caveats aside, you want dudes who make plays every time they have the chance to make plays, right? I, I played receiver on a team that threw the ball like, 12 times a game if we were really feeling frisky uh, but what that meant is you can't drop one of those 12 you better get open when your play is called um, and obviously we're going to throw the ball more than 12 times um, at UT but in the same way you got to be ready when your number's called it's got to be you and, and I love what Colin Johnson did and by my count when I was watching this game I had him 3 for 4 on 50-50 balls that's, uh, that's 75 on 50-50 that's good odds I got back from Vegas and I wish I had odds like that that's good do that um, but just being a monster, man. Colin Johnson being mean, be big, be mean. I loved it. Uh, he went up and took that touchdown straight away from a dude. Um, and when you're in the end zone and you're that big and you're the number one, I mean, truly receiver on this team, he led the team last year. You're back again. You're the number one guy till someone tells you you're not. Go be nasty and make it yours. Someone's got to really, really do something special to get that ball away from you, is how it should be. That's how you look like, uh, when you're going to go play on Sunday. So if we can get a a full season from Colin Johnson like that, then it's going to be a fantastic year, man. And, and I, and I know we said he's Bouchel's favorite target and obviously he was on Bouchelle's team, but if it's Ellinger who's behind uh, the line, I hope he also knows big dude who's hungry feed him, you know? Um, but on the other side, uh, little Jordan Humphrey just might be my favorite player on this team. I it's, it's becoming very hard for it to be anyone else. Um, we'll talk defense and there's some dudes on that side of the ball for sure. But LJH just continues to be awesome. And you saw this from Ellinger last year. There was a drive. I can't remember the game and I apologize. But there was a a drive, a fourth quarter drive where I think Ellinger went to him six consecutive times in a two minute drill. Um, And that's his guy. He, and, and rightfully so. Humphrey makes great catches. Um, He has consistent hands. He gets open. Uh, He does all the things you need. Um, And as, shown by the fact he played running back, you know, has some moves. He can make things happen after the catch even though he's a giant. I mean, he, he loves to hurdle, so hopefully he will use that when it's appropriate, but uh looks like, like we have two number ones, which is awesome, and I will say this because I don't want it to be overlooked. It looked like we had two dudes who were ready to go in the slot and play right next to them, and that's DuVernay and Gerard Hurd, who I was so happy for that he's getting looks, and he's getting we asked it earlier in podcast who would be the guy who gets the uh, maybe the Hempel Maps type place who gets the reverses, who gets the, the trickery, who gets the, the end arounds, the bubble screens, who gets the ball in his hands and lets him make plays. And I love that. It's the guy who won two state championships as a quarterback who people couldn't get a hand on. Cause he, you know, he just was untouchable in the open field. So let's make it that guy. So that's four deep right there. Um, and I'm excited. And there's other guys and there's guys coming in there's talent in this unit, but just from, from, from a, a number one standpoint, that first unit with those four guys, goodness, watch out. And then you had Bert and just the talent weapons you have around them. That's a, that's a plus unit. That's a, one of the best in the big 12 unit. And I'm really excited to be able to say that.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned, I want to backtrack a little bit. Colin Johnson looked like the guy that we know he could be like Colin Johnson looked like the guy that we know he can be. And you know, he didn't catch a lot of one-on-one coverages last year, which is really where he shines. If you put him in one-on-one coverage, and and again, I keep referring to Tom Herman, who's doing some really good quarterback coaching of these guys. He told Ellinger and Bouchelle, if you see Colin Johnson in one-on-one coverage, I don't care anything else that's going on, you audible to a go route. And that's what needs to happen. in In the fall, if Colin Johnson is one-on-one covered by literally anybody, I need you to audible to a go route, and you throw that to the outside shoulder. And if he does what he did in the spring game, He's going to score or at least get a big chunk play. And so, you know, if if my starting three or four receivers are Lil Jordan Humphrey, Colin Johnson, Gerard Hurd, one of those guys is gonna be in single coverage. There's you you don't have enough bodies to cover all three of those guys. And he's gonna feast. And then you're gonna roll coverage and the other guy's gonna be in in one-on-one coverage. So, like you said, the the wide receiver position seems to be the most ample the most supple for uh for feasting next year for again i couldn't come up with anything better than that but it it, it just it, it passes the eye test you know when you look at positions and you're checking off okay this position feels good wide receiver definitely does that for me
1: yeah and, and a guy who got a lot of targets and and um you know he kind of seemed to be that guy for cam rising was was uh pouncy jordan pouncy and so he had a i think he had at least one drop um and and you know had a, a mixed bag but i like to see another guy in that next unit looking to be, no, I'm the guy, get me the ball. Um, I like that. A receiver, I don't know, maybe because I played receiver, I think of receiver as an alpha position. That's a guy who has to look at a cornerback who is, you know, just one of your stud athletes on any team at any level, look across and look him in the eyes and say, yeah, I'm going to beat you. Um, so I just love seeing guys who feel that way. Um, and I just love the idea, you know, that we have a couple of those guys. But just like you said, if Colin Johnson, if they put a safety over the top of him, just imagine that means that one-on-one is some combination of Gerard Hurd, um, John Burt, or Devin DuVernay, who combined like, um, you know, they each have at least like a 96 on NCAA football were it to be made <laughs> uh, today in the speed rating. Just some absolute absolute burner so i'm just i'm salivating at the idea of having multiple weapons and having quarterbacks who can get them the ball and a line who can give them the time to do those things so if all these things that we think can click start to click then this could be a really fun year on the offensive side and that certainly wasn't the case last year
0: yeah it it, i definitely want to see those guys continue to progress and i think again this can be a really special unit and can be a in, in a conference where you have to put up points, a very, very potent passing attack from Texas. Uh, well, let's switch sides. We spent probably 30 minutes discussing the offense, uh, <laughs> so we're going to shortchange the better of the two units, probably just because we don't want to turn in a 90-minute podcast this week. But the Texas defense, uh, again, we mentioned this you know, via text, somehow I feel looked as good as it did a year ago, which when you lose a guy like Malik Jefferson, when you lose a guy like Holton Hill, when you lose a guy like Deshaun Elliott, when you lose a guy like Puna Ford, you expect them to, to take a step back. But guys progressed and guys seem to get better. And that front seven, I think, is going to be real, real salty uh, come September 1st.
1: Yeah. And you even think about a couple on the offense had some guys out, but you think about a couple of the guys who didn't play in the game, like for instance, a Gary Johnson, like there's more weapons to be added to this. So it is weird that I got the feeling. I mean, clearly the most valuable player in, you know, this entire team and in the biggest recruit over the off season is Todd Orlando Uh, getting that guy to sign back on makes me feel, you know, as good or better than I have about Texas on that side of the ball, just year in, year out. Uh, Maybe even then since like the Will Muschamp days, I just feel like I never have to worry about that. And if, if again, you have a defense who's putting offenses in bad positions, um, you know, who's, who's getting Texas the ball, which they did last year. And then the offense couldn't really take advantage and capitalize on that. But if you have two units that are in harmony, this can make our defense somehow even better. Um, so I'm just I'm really excited uh, with what we saw on both sides. And, and I mean, let's talk about the dudes who came in like that talent that was advertised played as good as advertised with some of the young defensive backs, Um, you know, some of the young linebackers. I saw McCullough, who's obviously not a recruit this year, but as a guy who, who was a big time recruit, and who just kind of looked a little bit lost at times, like he looked like a force. Um, You know, there were just guys all over the field. And and I really want to say, I don't know what tackling drills Todd Orlando is doing, but every coach in the country should be trying to steal those because there was not a position on the field that didn't look like they were tackling machines. You had cornerbacks who were sticking up running backs, tight ends, receivers didn't matter. If someone caught a ball and it was a one-on-one play, no matter what the offense tried, they got stuck and they got single field, open space tackles, which is fantastic. And I love to see it.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the, the young guys, but I want to mention a couple of the the more senior tenured guys mean, Breck Hager and, and Chuck Amenahu. He's again, he's oh, not yeah. Charles. That dude ain't Charles. That dude is Chuck. Like I <laughs> just watching the way he plays that's Chuck. Uh, so yeah. Breck, Breck and Chuck on the edges are going to be scary. And, and Breck Hager, yeah. most of his plays last year were because he's a high motor guy and then yeah. that guy decided to take the offseason real, real seriously, and and get get pretty cut and get pretty big. And so you combine a guy with a motor that just doesn't quit, and you know intense physical training, he's going to to progress. And Breck Hager definitely progressed. Charles Mennu, who we knew is we had him as a, a kind of a borderline guy who could have declared for the NFL this year, decided to come back another year, which again, was great. Uh, I mean, I think Malcolm Roach looked good because you can never tell because his jersey is rolled up underneath the... Is is that 32? Oh, yeah, that's 32. Okay, that's fine. So Malcolm Roach really, really looked great as well. He's he's one of those guys who... um, you have to find a way to, to to channel the tornado. If you can put a if you can put a saddle on a tornado and ride it, that guy's really good, but sometimes his uh his enthusiasm gets him out of position and and that's okay. You mentioned the defensive backs. BJ Foster is gonna be a problem. Yes. BJ yes. Foster is going to be a stinking problem. In in Two consecutive series. One, he just laid the boom on somebody, uh, and then he he made up on an overthrown ball and got a real big pass breakup, which you know kept little Jordan Humphrey from having another twenty yards. Which. Again, really, really impressive play from a young guy. Didn't get to see Caden Stearns; he had a kind of banged up knee, didn't get to play. Uh, but Anthony Cook looked really good in coverage. That guy looks yep. like a number one Definitely. shutdown cornerback, which I'm really excited to see. Uh, so this defense is going to be nasty once again.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean, uh, we had defensive backs like the the Foster play. He, he was literally like 17 feet in the air, and he almost made a one handed interception. Is I think his cleats were on someone's shoulder pads. Like it's just awesome to see incredible athletes out there doing doing monster things. Um one guy I really want to shout out because he's a guy who received a lot of criticism on a defense that was unbelievable last year oftentimes he looked like the weak link and looked you know seemed to be the guy to get the brunt of the criticism he really turned it around last year and somehow i feel like he is like um goku's soul absorbing the um the energy of those around him because when holton hill went out he kind of absorbed all of holton hill's best qualities somehow and chris boyd looks like a dude who's playing on sundays like chris boyd was doing stick work like like I said, just making open field tackles that look like, Holt, I mean, Orlando said Holton Hill was the best tackler on that Texas defense last year, which is unbelievable praise. Chris Boyd looked like he might be one of uh, the best tacklers on this Texas defense, um, you know, which is loaded with, with, with studs. So, I mean, love to give a shout out to that guy and to have a guy with that level of experience, um, just to kind of shepherd all these young, energetic, um, pups who are, who are kind of salivating the mouth to go out and show what they can do at the next level is unbelievably valuable. Um, we obviously have PJ Locke and Bonnie and other guys uh, who are going to be in there in that in that kind of uh, in that room in the defensive back room watching tape and be able to to give that knowledge. But I love Chris Boyd and I hope he's really able to be uh, kind of the champion of that group. And, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, when you mentioned Breck Hager, like blonde Palomalu looks like <laughs> a Yeah, I mean, seriously, he looks like a slightly shrunken version uh, of J.J. Watt with a bad barber. Like he's just like. You know, he's, you said he's an issue. Like he doesn't even have to get down in a stance and beat you off the play. He, he basically at snap rears up, puts all of this nasty physical specimen on display, looks you in the eyes, looks at what the quarterback's going to do and then decides if he's going to bull rush or swim move you. And that's nasty that it's not like, Oh, I have to get a jump on this so that I can beat you here. He's like, okay, let me get a second, just half second to read what's going on. I'm going to beat you regardless. And that confidence, that swagger, um, so good. Like I'm so looking forward. I know Hagers can play football. His dad, his brother Baylor, um Hagers can play football and this kid is looking like his senior year is going to be something something special and something to remember. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, the the defense again, I think will continue to carry the team and if the offense can put up some points and the defense does what it did a year ago, this, this team has the opportunity to be something special. Again, got to answer some of those questions along the offensive line and in the running game and at quarterback. So basically anything that's not a wide receiver right now, but yeah, there is help on the way and it's going to be uh, really interesting. So really, really quickly, Kyle, Texas baseball r- cracked off four straight wins. Uh, you know, they kind of got a, a mid, a mid season reprieve, played UT, Rio Grande Valley, Texas Southern, and then a weekend series against the New Orleans Privateers, which may be my favorite mascot. That's not a Longhorn. Uh, Kyle, real quickly, what's the baseball team looking like uh, to close out the season in its last like three weeks?
1: Well, they came off, obviously, the uh, the series win against OU. They got a number next to their name. I think that was after we recorded this podcast. So they started as number 21. I don't see any reason that they don't keep that or move up a little bit after what was a really, really good week. Again, not the not the toughest part of the schedule they've played. In fact, you know, they came in with a number 10 strength of schedule, the highest amongst any of the ranked teams in the country. That'll obviously go down a little bit, um, but I don't think fantastically. I could still see this being a top 15 strength of schedule, um, and they do have some games to end the season that are going to really be a test uh, with with TCU and Texas Tech in conference coming up. But um, this is a team that, you know, they needed to improve the road record, which I guess they did a little bit against OU, and then, um, you know, need to beat the teams that they should beat and show that they're one of the best teams in the country. And they crushed UT Rio Grande Valley was just a quick shout out to Jake McKenzie, who played all of the positions on the field, which is such a cool thing. Like uh, great press for Longhorn baseball. Cause I think every media outlet in the country covered that. Cause that's just, that's wild. Um, I love five tool guys who can do that. And that's what Texas needs in this program. Just guys who can pitch hit, Run, play things, just you know, pick it up on the fly. We have a lot of guys who can play multiple positions, but he seems to be uh, the most. So good, good on him. And and one kind of little down thing is they did drop their last game. And five games in a week is a lot, but they dropped the last game of the series um, against. Uh, against New Orleans um, after beating them 10 to 2 and 8 to 6 in the first two games dropped at 1 to 4. But I did actually get to take in the the 10 to 2 win against uh, Texas Southern, which was in, in Sugar Land at the Skeeters ballpark, which is awesome. If you're ever down there, go check out a game. Um, but getting to see him in person in Houston was was awesome. I mean, Cody Cummins didn't disappoint. Looks like an absolute all American. That guy's hitting three sixty with a Big Twelve best uh, thirteen homers, one of the one of the highest tallies in the country. Also leading Big Twelve in slugging percentage. The team itself is third uh, in runs scored in homers, which is better than we thought because we really thought this was going to be a team that killed on the defensive side of the ball. And they have been that. They've only committed seven errors in fifteen conference games, which is by far the best record, most double plays, fewest errors. Um, and it isn't just a Cody Clemens show, which is something that on the uh, batting side, you know, kind of in the box that we were a little bit worried about, and we talked about on this podcast. Uh, Zach Zuby is a guy who's really come on. He's he's fifth in the Big 12 and homers, ninth in RBIs, eighth in slugging. And David Hamilton, love this guy, man. He's second in the, in the league in walks, uh, in the conference in walks. He's leading Big 12 with 26 stolen bases. He's, he's getting on. Uh, playing smart, doing things—you know—on the defensive side, just looking really great. Um, and it's a team that, when I actually got to see against that Texas Southern, they really got rallies going with the six, seven, eight, nine hitters. They were looked like the bats were alive. And so, going into the end of Big Twelve play and into the conference tournament, and ultimately the College World Series, that's exactly what they're going to need. And that's what we called out on this podcast uh, weeks ago: is that we need to see something outside of just the superstars uh, as far as the bats go. And uh, and I'm excited to see that. Looking forward, we have. Uh, U of H and a weekend series at West Virginia, which should be uh, pretty good. U of H is a tough team; they've played some good teams and, and, and actually won against ranked teams this year. Um, but but West Virginia should be a, another good good uh, chance for for UT to really prime the bats, get the pitching kind of again consistent, and get the get the get the arms working. Um, really heading into the final stretch, we're at the seventy percent mark in the season right now, or um, maybe seventy five. But if you if you count the the 10 obvious games that the Texas will go in the college world series. We're about the 60% mark. So, um, we're getting there. We're getting close. It's getting to the exciting times.
0: Yeah. And I just want to mention Jake McKenzie again. It's just so cool to give a senior, a guy who's, you know, he's not the big stud player. He's not the Cody Clemens. He's not going to be the guy who gets drafted. He's just been a dude for your team for four years. Uh, who's by the way, a petroleum engineering major, uh, <laughs> go ahead and do that. Uh, academic MVP for the 2017 season. So basically the college baseball academic Heisman congrats. Uh, So just giving a guy like that, the opportunity to do something really cool. Who's given your program four years, who's given your program, um, you know, his blood, sweat and tears and, you know, went to school for it. Uh, But really cool to see a guy like that get, get a moment to shine. Uh, But briefly, we're going to mention a couple of conference championships uh, this week. So the number five women's tennis team uh, claimed its first big Twelve. championship in more than a decade the first time since two thousand seven so congrats to the women's tennis team and then women's golf team won its second consecutive big twelve title so the women carrying their end of the deal to win conference championships. So that brings us to uh, our favorite part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, big Bertha and bang the drum. So
1: Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? We may need to update the copy on that. We we'll honor one of our favorite traditions and like uh, Hager, we bang the drum like he does offensive lineman, but um, yeah, no banging the drum this week. I'm going to go back to baseball real quick. Cause this is such a cool thing. Um, Zach Zubia, who I mentioned earlier, uh, has really been coming on this season. Uh, He was a kid who originally committed to Tulane to play for Coach Pierce, couldn't transfer in time to where he didn't lose a year of eligibility. So he transferred to Texas to play for Coach Pierce, but had to redshirt last year and sit out. So he's a kid who really started his career um, with the Longhorns uh, this year. And his first game, you know, didn't start or anything, got one plate appearance and went 0 for 1. Um, That's it. Since he did a little something... That I think is remarkable. He had a forty-two game streak of reaching base safely, and that's—I had to double check this, and I did literally go through every box score. Uh, he had at least one of those, if not two, where that uh, was extended by a hit by pitch, which is awesome. Um, Thanks, but guys. forty-two. 42 games, like 42 consecutive times of doing anything like I guarantee you, I cannot uh, copy and paste uh, an Excel formula 42 times without messing it up somehow. Like, I mean, the, the guy does his job way better than, than I could ever do anything. So that's just wild for a kid who's freshman, who's been named twice um, the big 12 newcomer of the week um, in conference this year, who really is a big bat. Who's a guy um, who's, who's really done cool things. Um, unfortunately it ended, uh today in that that again loss uh, to the New Orleans street New Orleans uh bourbon streets or whatever they are. Um he went five for seven with a walk in the first two games of the series, so it looked like he had things going. But so that ends at forty two. And I'd have to check. I, I don't have this. I couldn't find it. Um but I'd be curious if, if anyone wants to tweet us if you know. Um forty two might definitely be a ut uh school record uh, and maybe even a big 12 conference record because that's that's pretty massive considering a baseball season only goes about 50 so um so that's really really awesome congrats to uh to zach zubia and and uh and just continue doing what you're doing i'm, I'm excited for a couple years of, of watching you play
0: Yeah, it's I I, I'm excited for the future of Texas baseball in general and guys like Zach Zubia um, make it fun to watch. So my bang the drum this week. uh, So Deontay Foreman put out in the Players Tribune, which if you don't follow the Players Tribune on social media, like they're putting out some really, really cool stuff. A couple of Texas guys have been featured uh, as well. So check that out. But uh, Deontay Foreman put out. A uh, an open letter to NFL GMs and scouts and coaches uh, about his brother Armonte. So if you don't know the story, uh, coming out of high school, Armonte was the guy everybody wanted. Armonte was the guy who they you know play, teams were recruiting and Deont- you know, He was a four star receiver, high ceiling, and Deontay was a two star guy, not necessarily going to be the uh, the dude for you. And Armonte was committed to Baylor up until the moment that. Charlie Strong offered Deontay Forbes a scholarship. And when that happened, Armonte flipped, and they both ended up in Texas. We know uh, what Deontay did for the Longhorns. Had one of the greatest rushing seasons in school history. Heisman finalist, Doke Walker winner, NFL player, is putting up some big numbers. Uh, and we'll see some increased playing time in Houston. Keeping it in your home state. But anywho, so he wrote a letter about, um, about his brother Armonte about... Uh, you know what? What are the rumors about him? Because there are, you know, this year it was a big, you know, subject of conversation on the internet. You know, why isn't armonte playing? Why isn't armonte playing? Well, rumors are he's a bad practice guy. Rumors are he doesn't get along with the coaches. Rumors are blah 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 blah. Which all of that could be true, but but this letter kind of lays out from somebody who probably knows him better than anybody else possibly could. They shared a freaking womb, like. <laughs> Yeah, that's not the guy I know. And there are two sides of that coin. You know, there was a full year that he was playing without you. So things very well could have changed. Um, But, you know, maybe he's not the the extroverted rah-rah guy that most teams are looking for. And you know what, from what I saw in in his limited playing time this year, Armonte, he had some good and he had some bad you know he for every time he really flashed you can think of his touchdown in the bowl game he had times where he truly gave up run blocking so you know i i'm i'm really interested to see what the future looks like for armonte You know, if he plays up to the level of talent that he's been billed at, and I've seen him play in burnt orange, then he can definitely make a squad for somebody. Less talented guys have made a squad, but, you know, if the internet rumors are true that he was lazy in practice or took plays off, you know, I... I don't know if that's a guy that NFL teams are willing to take a chance on. But, again, I want to see great things for Armante Foreman because I think he's a heck of a football player. He's very, very talented, and he has a really high ceiling. But, again, um, you need a guy that's dialed in. And you know what? Maybe a team like Houston signs him to the practice squad. Maybe it was just a thing of I haven't played without my brother since I started playing football. I've been alongside that guy on literally every team since we strapped it on for the first time. So maybe the Houston Texans you have him as a you know undrafted free agent, bring him in for camp, and you get him around his brother, a guy who he definitely seems to feed off of and is very loyal to, and he turns in some numbers. So I'd love to see a team like the Houston Texans maybe take a flyer on, on an undrafted free agent and bring him in for camp.
1: Absolutely, man. I, I I love the idea of the foreman's being back together. I more love the idea of just a kid who who I think had too much talent to have his career end the way it did. And if this would be the end, uh, I think he's an NFL caliber player, just has to get the right opportunity in the, in, you know, really carpe diem. But, uh, but yeah, I would love that. I think that's, that's a great one, but I did have a little bit of a comeback. I wanted to, uh, I don't know what to call this bang the drum to electric boogaloo, or maybe better is is fire the cannon. Um, My my other favorite tradition um, is just throw (laughs) A little something out there as we close it out i have i have one new school and two old school I'll start with the new school uh my boy our boy our favorite everyone's favorite brian carrington after the game signing autographs for kids was fantastic one of the coolest things i've ever seen like i love it man that guy deserves it he works his tail off he's doing big things like if kids see that see him on social media he's a part of the environment around this team and he signed on us that just warmed my heart for some reason and the other one uh old school i have two of them one of them is, is mac brown guy's brilliant needs to call every football game ever two button um, mac just... come on with it <laughs> Bear that, is is just uh i mean i miss that guy so so much even got a sally brown shout out on air just beautiful beautiful miss mac so much and then the ultimate one this is what i want to end the pod with uh, there's been a debate and, and we have a best friend, Mario. I don't know if, does Mario listen to the show? He should. He, I have no idea. Um, I know he doesn't listen to two woke nerds, the other podcast, but, uh, he, uh, he, you know, is naggy. We have a best friend amongst us. He's naggy. An and so there's spirited debate over the best, uh, all-time college football quarterback. But I think that has been put to rest this week when, a, when a photo was posted on Vince Young's Instagram of, uh, Johnny Manziel, Texas A&M, uh, legend and Vince Young, uh, you may have heard of him. Uh, playing a round of golf, and uh, he said, "Me and the kid, Jay Manziel, proudy little bro." Um, he also said, uh, "Great tacos you dig," which uh, <laughs> I want to know the story. But uh, Johnny Manziel commented on that photo and ended a debate that we've had for for years. He said, "Greatest college QB of all time," at Vince Young ten. So I don't think any more on the subject ever needs to be said. Uh, Vince Young, the greatest college football quarterback of all time.
0: Tim Tebow, who
1: Johnny Unitas, who,
0: who, who Vince Young. Thank you guys so much for listening in to the show this week. Again, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton of visibility. Kyle, where can the good folks find
1: you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find me in Fuddruckers this week. I have a date scheduled to finally use those tickets. uh, And maybe we'll get the social media, um, figured out. They're not seeing my tweets, but, uh, at Kyle Carpenter.
0: And you can find me on Twitter. I am at G H good follow the show on Twitter. Longhorn pod. Choose an email. Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com. And Kyle mentioned it briefly earlier. If you're into nerd news and things like that, you can check out my other podcast Two woke nerds. We go live every Wednesday with our good buddy, Raymond Summerlin talking the biggest stuff in nerd news this week. We're doing our Avengers predictions. Who's going to live? Who's going to die and am I going to cry, which that is probably a yes. Thank you so much for listening in again this week, and until next time, hook em.
1: Long live godzilla